0: how do people become famous authors?
1: Well you should write about what you know. If what you know resonates with a large audience, then maybe you got a following.
0: What if all you know is narcissism, white privilege, the projection of American authority and ideology with
1: weapons, and greed? Well, then historically speaking, you need to go to the developing world with some guns and or an airplane. America seems to love that. (laughs) Cha-ching! Hey Neil, and hello Duby friends. Hey Sandra, welcome to Dubious, everybody. So, what do we have for our listeners this week?
0: Well, there has been a surprise hit movie in the last couple of months based on a surprise hit novel from 2018 of the same name, Where the Crawdads Sing, written by a woman named Delia Owens. Or maybe it's not so much of a surprise hit, because at the center of it is perhaps the only legitimate snuff film ever recorded and broadcast on American television. Uh, Snuff films, for those people that might be from other places like me and don't know the term, means that the video recording is that of a real murder.
1: Yeah, the story of Delia Owens and her husband at the time, Mark, and their militant anti-poaching efforts in Africa is a crazy set of events that has a bit of everything in it, really. There's some colonialism, you know, there's some white savior complex, there's overzealous belief in a cause that leads up to a murder, and literary prominence for both of the participants after the fact.
0: Yes, and before we get any further, I'd like to tell our people that, in general, I am all for being overzealous about protecting wildlife, all animals really, nature too. In fact, in my book, there's no such thing as being overprotective or overzealous uh, while trying to save elephants from poaching but I guess it all depends on the definition of overzealous, right? But this is not a story about good people trying to save the elephants. It's a sinister story that might have started based on good intentions, but it evolved into something really disturbing. Let's start with Delia and Mark Owens.
1: So the couple met in grad school at the University of Georgia as biology students. The impression you get from their bios is that Delia was a high-achieving young woman from high-achieving parents, and her husband was a bit more of the bad boy type. He had already divorced from the mother of a young son by age 29, and Delia was 24 when they decided to sell all of their belongings and move to Botswana. Delia eventually finished a Ph.D. in animal behavior, Whereas Mark did not finish his graduate studies in the sciences.
0: Yeah, but he did learn how to fly airplanes, though.
1: I can do that, too. But that's where my similarities with Mark
0: (laughs) Owens end, I think. I agree. You're definitely not like that guy. Also, you finished your studies and now you're pestering all of us with Shakespeare quotes. So (laughs) anyway, Mark Owens could fly helicopters as well
1: well i'm sorry i do not have the desire to fly a thing with no wings that breaks every single day
0: yeah and especially in the middle of nowhere like you know in the african savannah yeah where there's that's no even worse. Help or anything yeah so back to mark and delia their plan when they left the united states was to finish their grad school research in the african wilderness mark got the european zoological society to sponsor their research in the form of buying them a small airplane and they flew around botswana researching the behavior of packs of hyenas
1: it's really hard not to like them at this point mark was writing articles for wildlife magazines and in one he said we land in the grass most likely in a place never visited by modern man and sleep in the open Now and then we wake to watch the gentle sweep of the Southern Cross through the night sky, knowing that no one on Earth knows where we are or could ever find us. We feel as if we are the only two people in the universe.
0: Oh that's romantic. It's nice. I it's it. nice. Yes. yes. And look so far I have nothing but admiration for these people going to another continent to observe and help conservation efforts for wildlife. Pretty amazing. And they were in their 20s. I'm a bit jelly actually.
1: <laughs> it's pretty much a storybook life. I'm definitely envious of their early years. But
0: it wouldn't last, unfortunately, the good vibes would end.
1: Yes, they never last.
0: So they were now in Botswana, and while flying one day, they came across a fence that was blocking the migration of herds of wildebeest. It turns out that the fence stretched for a 100 miles and was put there to block the animals from getting into cattle farming territory. Botswana in the 1980s was a major supplier of beef to Europe, and the farmers were trying to stop the wild-herd animals from passing diseases to their cattle. And in search of water, the wildebeest herds were passing into a hunting ground, and from the air, Mark and Delia saw poachers killing them en masse.
1: Yes, so when the government of Botswana refused to do anything about the mass poaching of wildebeest herds, Mark and Delia tried to publicize the situation internationally to apply external pressure to the government and put a stop to the killing of the wild herds, and rather than capitulate, the Botswana government just deported Mark and Delia instead to wash their hands of the problem.
0: Yes, and again, so far, nothing but admiration for these people, really, so while trying to get the attention of American politicians to help pressure Botswana to curtail poaching, the Owens couple looked for another country where they might continue their research and conservation efforts, and they found the North Luangwa National Park in Zambia.
1: In Zambia, their anti-poaching activity would become militant, and end, ten years later, in murder caught on film for American television.
0: Now, there have been rumors of snuff films going back to the 1970s, and basically what these are is, you know, a real killing of a person that was filmed and sold. Now, no evidence of any such film has ever been proven to be true, so the documentary about Mark and Delia, filmed by ABC News in the 1990s, might have been the closest thing out there to a snuff film at the time.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely wild that this would come from people who call themselves conservationists, but it exists. For those not squeamish, the video originally aired by ABC News is in the New Yorker article we'll link in the notes. Up fair warning, of course, a man does die in it. So how did Mark and Delia get to this point?
0: In short, the same thing Mark and Delia saw in Botswana was happening to elephants in Zambia when they moved there in the 1980s. Zambia was part of a territory formerly known as Rhodesia, colonized by the British. It had no gold mines, no diamond mines, or any other precious material that surrounding regions were known for. Zambia only had copper. Therefore, the British treated it as a source of cheap labor and had little interest in it compared to other countries nearby, such as Zimbabwe and the Congo. Absent precious materials to invite international trade— Poaching of wildlife became a profitable business in Zambia in the 1970s and 1980s, particularly ivory and rhino horns, which are used for art and folk medicines in Chinese mysticism and other nonsense that I can't even talk about because it gets me so upset.
1: Yes. So a fellow researcher of Delia and Mark Owens, also working in Zambia at the time, estimated that in the 1960s, 70,000 elephants lived in the North Luangwa National Park, but by the mid-1980s, they had been reduced to 5,000 elephants. So, when Mark and Delia landed in this completely untamed and unregulated place, they decided to help the Zambian park rangers fight the elephant and rhino poachers militarily. If the police and the army of Zambia would not do it, they would assist them with Western funding and their airplanes.
0: I mean, so far, so good. I'm all for it, 100%, because our species has caused so much pain and death to all other species that no person in their right mind would not support what Delia and Mark were doing up to this point. So they solicited donations from wealthy Westerners to initially help the Zambian government maintain the anti-poaching scouts in the national park. Officially, the Owens family had an arrangement with the government that allowed them to command the scouts, and they carried the titles of honorary game rangers. Now, the Owens family also paid the scouts bonuses for capturing certain quotas of poachers.
1: And this is where we're getting a bit sketchy with a quota slash bounty system.
0: Right, I mean, especially in a country where wages are low in general and there is a lot of poverty, and if you set a quota for, let's say, 10 poachers a month, and the ranger only caught 8, let's say, he might feel motivated to capture two more innocent people to meet the criteria for getting paid extra. I mean, seems like a good way for some scout's enemy from the next village over to be accused of poaching, and this is where my dubimeter alarm goes off.
1: (laughs) Exactly.
0: To be completely fair, the Owens family's donors did pay for other useful services in the region as well, such as medical clinics, birth attendants, and HIV-AIDS prevention clinics.
1: Yes, but it was always the elephants and rhinos they were primarily concerned with.
0: Yes, so helping people was not the priority, and again, to be perfectly objective, there are animal welfare and conservation organizations, and then there are foundations and organizations helping people. And call me crazy, but if I only have money to donate to one kind of organization, it's gonna be the organization that helps the animals, so... Look, there are those fights on social media when a shelter posts something like, please donate to help this cat or this dog, you know, with their medical treatment. Or when the Worldwide Find for Nature posts something like, let's help the bears. And you get that one idiot in the comments saying, what about the children in Syria? Like, what about them? It's not an either or situation. You can love and care about both animals and children. You know, it's just that that particular organization's mission is helping animals. Nobody stops you to help the children in Syria. But the point is, in this case, later on, and we'll get into that chain of events shortly, when confronted about the accusations of violence or murder against local people, Delia even said to a reporter,
1: quote, Look, we're good people. We were just trying to help. And this is the crux of this problem. People can choose to help whatever cause they want. And as long as those people are not representing the will of the government, that's fine. When you are representing the will of the government and choosing who lives and dies, then you have crossed the line.
0: Planning an ambush and killing an unarmed guy on camera for walking in the woods is a very, I don't know, weird way of helping, but go off, lady. Tell us how good you are, you know?
1: Yeah, right. So, by the mid-1990s, they were getting positive press in America, too. Sports Illustrated commissioned a long article about their anti-poaching efforts, and they were invited to appear on The Tonight Show for an interview, which in turn led to an invitation to talk about a TV documentary with ABC News producer Janice Tomlin.
0: Yes, and ABC sent a crew to film the Owens family with their scouts searching for poacher camps in Zambia in 1995, and the finished documentary, titled Deadly Game, the Mark and Delia Owens Story, aired in March of 1996 with the following warning during the opening credits. The following program contains some scenes of violence which might be upsetting
1: to viewers. I'd say that's a bit of an understatement, considering the <laughs> exactly. viewers had to watch a man shot four times in this film. This was a snuff film broadcast on national TV. To put this in context for those, unlike uh, Sandra, who are pre-millennial like me, you know, we grew up around this controversy. There was... A standing offer from a magazine publisher in the 70s and 80s for anybody that could show him evidence that a snuff film had been produced, he would pay a million dollar reward. And nobody ever collected it. You know, it's like these things did not exist. It was people convinced that clever special effects and uh, stuff like that were real murders and real deaths in movies when they were not. And just all of a sudden, Mark and Delia Owens, with the help of ABC News, made the myth of the snuff film true.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. And during the documentary, the film crew accompanies a scout team who is going to search a campsite. So... They find a bag of shotgun shells and determine that the people using the campsite are poachers based on that evidence alone, so they lay in wait, planning to ambush the suspected
1: poachers when they return. And the ABC News narrator refers to the man from the campsite as a, quote, trespasser, which is irony overload, considering (laughs) they and the Owens family are white Americans, obviously, even more so... The land did not belong to the Owens family. This was a national park. And this isn't their country. It's the man's country who was sleeping at the campsite. He was born there. They were not. Exactly. the scout lays, waiting for this man to approach the campsite, and fires a single shot. Then approaches the man he's wounded, who's still alive, laying prone on the ground. The man lifts his head without saying a word and another person, whose features are blurred, appears in the camera frame just off to the left. The narrator of the documentary then says, Conservation, morality, Africa, and the man with the blurred features shoots three final shots into the wounded man on the ground, killing him.
0: I mean, you know, guys, when Neil told me about this story, I didn't want to believe it. I mean, he's a contrarian by nature, Neil. So I thought like this can't be, you know, but there is no other way to describe this. It's a murder. This was premeditated murder, an ambush and a murder on camera. And I'll be honest, before digging into this case and looking at all the details and all the info, my reaction was, oh, well, a dead poacher, good riddance, right? I love animals. So that was my knee jerk reaction. But the thing is... I had assumed that this was an accident. What I thought happened is that the alleged poacher fired them and they fired back and well, the poacher died. But no, this was an execution. Their scout fired more shots into that man as he lied on the ground, already wounded and unarmed. And as much as I hate poachers, assuming this guy they killed was even a poacher, which we do not know for a fact. I think that they must be caught and taken to the police. It's not the prerogative of two white people to go to Africa and train their scouts to execute other people. I mean, it's insane.
1: Yes. I mean, and to further contextualize this a little bit, they are in the wilderness in Africa. I mean, there are hyenas. There are lions. uh, There are leopards. It's dangerous. So the fact that somebody who's camping outside has a shotgun and has shotgun shells does not indicate that he is an elephant poacher at all for one thing those shotgun shells cannot kill an elephant so i mean i agree this was an execution premeditated murder no doubt about it
0: yes and my question is if this was done while abc was there so on camera right with the cameraman and the reporter present what were these people doing when there was no camera there? Because I think the disconnect in their minds is so big. I mean, imagine they thought this is okay for TV. So I'm terrified to think of what their military trained scouts were doing when there were no cameras around. And one more thing, because I know that for people like me who love animals more than they love people, which yes, I do (laughs) guilty of that. I mean, this might seem like poetic justice, right? The hunters becoming the hunted. The thing is... We don't know the murdered person was a poacher, and also, even if he was, this vigilante BS is just not right. I mean, take that person to the authorities, don't execute them, or at least aim for the knee. I don't know, but you can't just go around murdering people no matter how bad they are or how bad you think they
1: are. The Owens family denies all of this, of course. They claim they had nothing to do with the shooting that ABC put on live television in 1996. But a letter Mark Owens sent before the ABC News incident to a hunting safari operator named P.J. Fouché, who lived adjacent to the North Luangwa National Park, seems to be an admission of involvement in shootings like the one that was filmed. Mark's letter to P.J. was shown to Jeffrey Goldberg of The Atlantic, who said it included the following quote. To date, I have flown eight airborne anti-poaching operations over your area, including four in which I inserted scouts on ambush. Two poachers have been killed and one wounded that I know of thus far, and we are just getting warmed up. Anything you can do to help keep our anti-poaching efforts alive in your area will, I guarantee, pay big dividends for your safari business and very soon. On that note, would it be possible for you to bring back as much ammo as you can 12 gauge 30-06 300 762 short for AK47s and some cracker shells for pest control
0: I mean, like I said, it's a murder, right? Because (laughs) everything (laughs) but the cracker shells is for people. Yes. I mean, look, who knows how many other murders happened at the hands or at the orders of the Owens. In the case of the video everyone saw on TV, it is abundantly clear that the person who was shot was on the ground, unarmed, not saying a word, barely moving, not a threat. And then you see and hear at least three more shots fired into that person.
1: And the Owens family suffered absolutely no consequences from this at all.
0: No, they didn't. According to Jeffrey Goldberg's two cover stories written for both The Atlantic and The New Yorker about this shooting, ABC's photographer from the 1990s documentary Chris Everson said it was Mark Owens' son, Christopher, who fired the last three shots that killed the quote-unquote trespasser. And again, I need to say this, this was a national park, guys. So what trespassing? Also, Africa is not America. And even here, if someone trespasses on your, let's say you have a property in the forest, some land, and you shoot once and they're unarmed and on the ground, posing no dangers. And if you keep shooting to kill and you kill them, that's still murder. Like, there is no excuse. I do not care. This was murder.
1: Yes. Afterward, according to the Zambian police detective assigned to investigate the shooting, Mark Owens flew the Owens helicopter to the scene, attached a body to it with a cargo net, and dropped the unnamed victim in a lagoon to erase the evidence of the crime.
0: Well, well, well. Someone freaked out, probably realizing this was all caught on camera and wanted to make sure that body is never seen again. I mean... Look, the Zambian police never discovered the victim's identity, which is super sad. I think no matter who he was, he had a family. And, you know, nobody ever found his
1: body after that. That's really the most tragic thing in this. This man never said a word and was shot and killed. And to this day, nobody knows his name. So after the shooting and the airing of the ABC documentary in 1996, the Owens family left Zambia for obvious reasons and settled back in the U.S. and northern Idaho. The U.S. Embassy in Zambia, they said, advised them not to return, as they were wanted for questioning by the Zambian police, but they did not stay quiet.
0: No, they did not. Back in the United States, they published their third nonfiction book about their time in Africa. Uh, Their second, published in 1992, explained their anti poaching efforts in detail, but for some reason, the third book, not so much. And obviously, (laughs) as we all know, Delia wasn't done after
1: publishing their third book in the early 2000s. Clearly not. Delia's first novel, Where the Crawdads Sing, was the runaway hit fiction story of 2018. It has been the number one book on Amazon. It has been on the New York Times bestseller list for over 160 weeks. It has been featured in Reese Witherspoon's hugely popular book club. And a film adaptation of the novel has been produced by Delia Owens and Reese Witherspoon, released just last month in theaters, with Taylor Swift doing an original song for the movie's soundtrack even.
0: Yes, and the movie has been hugely successful as well. I didn't see it because, you know, I'm not going to do that. None of us are going to pay for this movie (laughs) ever. It was relatively low budget in modern movie terms, 24 million dollars but earned $17 million in its first week and has earned over $150 million since then. Perhaps not so ironically, the plot of the novel and film involved a young girl who is accused of murdering her abusive boyfriend. The girl in the novel is charged with the crime, but is then acquitted in her criminal trial. And it becomes apparent years later at the story's conclusion that the girl was actually guilty of the murder.
1: I mean... (laughs) You know this woman. yes you wrote a novel which describes the crime you are wanted for in africa Can yes you imagine give or take a few details
0: but <laughs> the idea is the same a woman accused of murder Got she gets away with it. it but she's actually guilty yes yeah, so. yes
1: and <sighs> again the fact that the man they probably her son killed is still dead and still In his home country, nobody knows his name.
0: I mean, it's the most incredible display of hubris I think I have ever seen. And yet, look, I'm not gonna lie, there's still a part of me that's Torn in a way about some aspects of this story. Like, I mean, you know, as I said earlier, I love animals more than I love people. But if you replace elephants with people in this story and assume that the guy was a poacher, is it moral or legal to execute him based on the assumption that he's going to hurt or kill someone? No, you can't kill somebody because you think they might kill somebody in the future.
1: Well, before we continue with our story about the Owens, we're going to tell people how to become Dubious Patrons and get more episodes like this. Yes, guys, we do two premium episodes
0: per month in addition to our four free ones.
1: You can get them by going to DubiousPod.com and clicking on the Become a Patron button at the top of the page or by clicking the link in this episode's notes.
0: And for less than a trip to the fancy coffee store, not only will you get our premium episodes, but you will also get our public episodes all ad-free, but not (laughs) crime-free. There's a crime in every one, we promise.
1: (laughs) (laughs) About crime, you know, one thing that Jeffrey Goldberg mentions in his Atlantic article about Delia Mark Owens, a wildlife conservation group got him a full-length copy of the ABC documentary that aired in 1996, showing the murder. He said they told him the story had more resemblance to Heart of Darkness than it did to Born Free. And for those who haven't heard of it, Born Free is a nonfiction story about a British couple who raise a lost lion cub and then release her back into the wild in Kenya when she grows up. And that comparison is just too perfect, so... That is exactly what came to mind when Sandra and I were talking about our notes for this episode yesterday. Mm -hmm. For those unfamiliar, Heart of Darkness is a short fiction story from the late 19th century. It's the story that the Vietnam War movie Apocalypse Now was based on, which I presume most people are familiar with, even if they haven't read the original novel. So, the story is also about an elephant poacher set in the Congo during the colonial days. And the overall vibe of the story is just ever-present misery and brutality at every turn. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's one of the great English-language novels, which is quite an accomplishment, because the author Joseph Conrad was Polish, and he learned English as a second language. But the impression of the story's narrator is that he's lying about some or all of it. And the colonial administrators he describes in Africa are all just miserable and inept people. And the people who work for Kurtz, the ivory poacher the narrator is looking for in the story, are both childish and at the same time just savage killers. And the innocent people in this story are victims of the brutal circumstances caused by the colonists and the poachers. It's all just f-ing bad, and Kurtz's life ends with the same words that Marlon Brando says in Apocalypse Now. He says, the horror, the horror, and that's the end of the story.
0: Yes, and Mark, Delia, and their son Christopher could be those inept colonial administrators from the story. They were able to completely outmatch the elephant poachers they were up against because they had airplanes and helicopters and modern weapons. And that would be okay. I mean, that's the point. Outmatch the poachers, yes. get them out of business but don't execute them. There is no context in which shooting an unarmed man in a national park is okay. There is no context in which that man is on the ground, wounded, unable to even speak and barely moving, and you fire three more shots into him. There is no country on earth where that would be legal. But on the other hand, the Owens have no capacity for self-awareness or self-reflection, so I guess this is how this was possible to happen, it baffles me that people who are granted PhDs and master's degrees by Western universities seemingly have no grasp of basic human ethics at all. I mean, before anyone complained and pointed it out to them, one of their websites literally called Africa the dark continent.
1: I mean, that's the sort of central theme of Heart of Darkness is... They are trying to reconcile what they are doing in this terrible place, doing these terrible things, and just killing people randomly, you know, following orders, and nobody knows what the real purpose is. It's like they're trying to find it, but they can't find it. And, you know, the fact that this was all turned into a real-life version of A Heart of Darkness makes me feel like a worse person for having researched all of this. (laughs) I mean, at the end of Heart of Darkness, the ivory poacher, Kurtz, he gives the narrator a manuscript that he's written explaining his colonial philosophy, basically, about how he's determined after all of this killing of elephants and people and everything else, that it was the noble task of the white European population to teach the poor, black, childlike people of Africa how to be civilized, which, of course, makes no sense. Because Kurtz is there to slaughter elephants for ivory, so it's not civilized at all what he's doing. That's the exactly, point. You know, exactly. Like s-
0: yes, the contradiction, the hypocrisy. Th- yes. yes,
1: the contradiction is the point. You know, none of it makes any sense. It's all very subtle criticism of the futility of human greed and brutality. And, you know, we don't get to hear the full contents of Kurtz's manuscript in the story, but the narrator, after quoting a couple of passages from it, says that on the last page, there's a handwritten footnote that says, quote, exterminate all the brutes. Which, that is Mark and Delia Owens, like, perfectly crystallized. They were living, heart of darkness, in the 20th century, in Zambia, Apparently without even realizing it. Yes. It is absolutely insane, complete with the piles of ivory elephant tusks from the story. It's just like the f*** novel
0: right and i mean these people went there with their white savior colonialist complex you know and became self-appointed law enforcement basically and they started enforcing their own laws not the law i mean imagine this scenario imagine three people from zambia came to montana set camp in a national park, bought guns, and started killing Americans who were maybe hunting off-season or Americans who don't have a hunting permit, which is basically like poachers, right? And And then call him a
1: trespasser. Yes.
0: I mean, (laughs) it's just insane. And one scout from that period, his name is Harry Campamba, said, Mark Owens told us that anyone with meat or a weapon
1: should have a beating. So torture, basically.
0: Yes, I mean, that's why I said who knows what they were doing when there were no cameras there. I mean, the ONC's attorneys denied that Mark commanded scouts and he said he was not responsible for their actions and denied that anyone was tied to a stake or beaten, even though this is what their lawyers said. Scouts occasionally passed through or near their camp with captured poachers and they would stop for water or a brief rest. The scouts would handcuff prisoners to a tree, but for a few minutes only and in the shade. Mm.
1: Yeah, I'm not buying that, I don't think.
0: (laughs) Me neither. And the goal, the narcissism, to write and publish another book in which you are excusing yourself for a murder that you are really implicated in is just incredible.
1: And to clarify, I'm usually the first person who will defend a fiction writer's right to publish whatever they choose to write. I do not think that fiction has any moral or ethical standard that we apply to other forms of speech. Agreed. Ironically, though, one of the first incidents of someone trying to quote-unquote cancel a book's notoriety because of the author's presumed personal opinions was also involving Heart of Darkness. An African professor named Chinua Achebe, accused joseph conrad of being racist and let's be honest joseph conrad was racist but <laughs> you know samuel taylor coleridge was a completely degenerate opium addict and william faulkner was a sloppy drunk so should people still read *Rime of the ancient mariner even though it's basically heroin scrawled on a page yes it's wonderful It does not matter. Read it anyway. Exactly.
0: But there are exceptions to every rule.
1: (laughs) Yes, there are. I'll be damned if Delia Owens did not find the exception where I feel like we have to draw the line. It's the only exception in this sort of thing that I can think of. She has lived out Heart of Darkness in real life and then gotten literary famous with a novel adaptation of it. This woman must have never seen a mirror in her whole f-ing life. <laughs>
0: It's really amazing, the narcissism of these people. It's as if they think Africa is a zoo and they were meant to be the zookeepers. And another quote that just jumps off the page is a character in her novel, which was adapted from a real person they hired as a cook when they lived in Zambia. His name in both the book and in real life is Sunday Justice. In Delia's novel, he asks... I myself always wanted to know, madam, if you fly at night, do you go close to the stars? Apparently, this was very funny to the real Sunday justice, because when Jeffrey Goldberg, the journalist, asked him about it, he said he used to be uh, in the country's Air Force. He was a veteran (laughs) of the Zambian Air Force. (laughs) Whoops. Uh, You know,
1: I mean, the condescension is just off the charts, isn't it?
0: Yes. And it's also incredibly ironic that they wound up in one of the places formerly called Rhodesia. And for everybody who's unfamiliar, you can easily spot a closeted white British person on social media, so a racist, when they get to talking about their Rhodesian ancestors. Yeah, that's a red flag. You know, that person longs for the colonialist days. It's basically the same situation as American racists harping on states' rights, which is just code words for, like, I should still have my slaves and my wife should be my property. Exactly.
1: You know, another thing I can't help but notice in all this, Mark Owens, when he and Delia first moved to Africa, had already divorced and basically abandoned his four-year-old son. So Sandra's heard my life story, but suffice to say, I'm qualified to do some psychoanalysis here, so to speak, on scumbag parents who abandon their kids to run off and pursue their own selfish ambitions. But Christopher Owens, insanely enough, I think, was probably just trying to please his father subconsciously by getting mixed up in all of this. I know he was in his 20s when he supposedly shot this guy. So if he were in America, he would surely be charged as an adult with the murder.
0: Yeah, I I think the same applies for Africa, though. Like, if you're over
1: 18, it's, yeah, you're an adult. But imagine being abandoned by your father at four so he could run off to Africa with his new 24-year-old girlfriend. And then when you are 24 years old, you find yourself standing in front of an ABC News camera, getting ready to empty three bullets into a person who hasn't even said a word to you to try and please the father who bailed out on you for his 24-year-old girlfriend all those years ago. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, no, and I agree. I do get some daddy issues uh, vibes here. And Christopher, the kid, I mean, he was 20, yes, he was an adult. But like, look, at that age, if that's what your parents do every day and that's what they teach you, I feel he's also, in a way, kind of a victim. But really, he was an adult. I get being sympathetic to his childhood issues. But if we are to believe the interviews and the Zambian police investigation, it looks like Christopher Owens... Is really the shooter who finished off the murder of the man in the ABC video. So, yeah, I might not judge him for following his father's orders in training the scouts in the national park in military tactics and fighting skills. But, you know, he's an adult and he's guilty. I'm sorry. That was an execution.
1: Imagine if your father told you to kill a man for the TV camera and then showed up with a helicopter to feed the body to the crocodiles. I mean, if Freud were still here with us today, he would say, no, this is too much. Just delete this garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: it's completely crazy. I get the idea of giving free reign to fiction writers under the notion of freedom of speech. But this isn't that. This is the inverse of it. In this case, Delia Owens and her stepson and husband have done a terrible thing, completely absent of morality and ethics, and then tried to turn that amoral, unethical action into fame and fortune. I think the profit factor is really what's bothering both of us here. It's really the opposite of artistic license.
1: Yeah, that's a good way of summing it up, I think. And I find it hard to believe that all of the other famous people involved in promoting the book and the movie or contributing one way or another creatively on this project, you know, Reese Witherspoon and Taylor Swift, don't know what happened in Zambia.
0: Yes, exactly. Also, this is a passage from the Atlantic article about this story. I think it's relevant. Neil, can you please read it? Because it has a part that should probably be read with Southern accent, and I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: so here we go. Crawdads. The book is filled with improbable and condescending portraits of black people. Characters who say things like, "You know, you can tell me." In fact, we gon' stand right here till she tells me. This is no. This is like. This is even worse. This is a dialect of the Caribbean. It's called Patois. It is a mix of French and English, you know, all kind of blended together. And it's a very distinct thing. And for her to write that after murdering one of these people in Africa, I mean, this is, uh well... This is 400 years of colonialism boiled down to a 2018 novel, basically. But throughout their experiences in Botswana and Zambia, the Owens' gained a reputation for resenting the presence of African people amid the animals they had come to study. A local conservationist, Mark Harvey, once said about them. Nice continent, pity about the Africans. Yeah, so... I mean, that pretty much says it all. And based on the quoted passages from their books, I think it applies to them. They're pretty bad in terms of the quality of the prose. I don't think it's in them to write anything they haven't seen or experienced firsthand. So, what's the dubimeter for moving to Africa, having your husband and or your stepson murder a guy for ABC News' documentary, and then using the circumstances to write a best-selling novel.
0: I mean, 10. On a scale from 1 to 10, it's definitely 10. Now, am I surprised white people still think they are the law in countries and lands that belong to black people? No. What is really dubious here is that the Owens started off doing good for the elephants and the rhinos and other wildlife. And, you know, I loved them initially. I thought these are good people, like she said. But no, they ended up hunting human beings and throwing their dead bodies in swamps from helicopters.
1: Well, I feel like we all need therapy after reading about the Owens family.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully we didn't traumatize you guys. And just to end this on a positive note, there is an organization. They've been there ever since Delia and Mark Owens left, actually since before, and they took over and they're now protecting the elephants and the rhinos from poachers in that area. And they're called the Frankfurt Zoological Society, and they protect the animals without executing people go figure so it can be done so the elephants and the rhinos are safe yay and you know hopefully we'll never hear a story like this one again
1: <laughs> yes and i mean to sort of put a nice bow on this is something we didn't include earlier you know for all of this talk about uh raising money as a nonprofit to go train a militia and hunt people in the wilderness and was. This is all very silly because the thing that has helped the elephant population more than anything else in this area is when Delia and Mark were still in Africa, the UN imposed a ban on the transport of elephant tusks to kill the ivory trade. And when the price of ivory fell because of the international ban on the trade of elephant tusks from like a hundred dollars a pound down to like a pound, then that killed the poaching because there was no money in it anymore. So that's the answer. It's not random people pretending to be the army. I mean, that's just silly.
0: I mean, look, not to undermine the positive work and the positive effect that organizations that are really well-intended can have, because they do have a positive effect, whatever poaching activities are there, because they are still going on not as much as before but this still helps if you do it like a normal i mean if you don't hunt people
1: yes and i've been in their shoes it's like uh, not killing people but you know i've run a small charity before and you have to keep perspective that you know what you're doing is small and at the end of the day if you get an audience from it the audience should be to encourage uh, governments and bigger organizations to do more than you have done. It is not for you to be the hero running around the jungle with guns.
0: Exactly, exactly. I mean, to be honest, my personal opinion in this case, what I think is these people and their son really are closeted racists. They do not like black people. And I feel like they went there with good intentions, but I think it all transformed into a way for them to do some hunting of their own if you know what I mean. That's my gut feeling, and I'm glad they're not doing that anymore. Too bad they won't be. You know, Apparently, from what it seems right now, I don't think they're going to ever see any legal consequences from this. They're not going to
1: be poor either. I mean, their movie's done well.
0: Yeah, that is kind of sad, but all in all, at least from now on, maybe there's more accountability for people who go there to quote-unquote help.
1: Hopefully. In any case, we are at Dubious Pod on all of your social media platforms, everybody. Hope you guys enjoyed this, and sharing us with your friends and family is always appreciated. Thanks
0: for listening, everyone. We love you to be friends.
1: See you all next week.